We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello, listeners. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio and podcast show that brings independent and interesting STEM, so that's science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine, to you from Tasmania. The show is supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium news station, so head over to edge.org.au for more info. My name is Ollie Dove and my co-host is Anna Abella. I'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners on the land on which we're recording. We're here on Luchuita and I pay my respects to the Palawa people, as well as to the traditional owners from the land from where you listeners are tuning in from. On behalf of everyone here and at home, I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. So, Anna, what and with whom are we talking about today? So today we're talking with Priya Kitchener. She's completed a Bachelor of Arts, Science and Antarctic Studies from the University of Tasmania and worked as an analytical chemist before jumping into and completing a Master's of Teaching. So she's been working now as a maths and science teacher for over five years. And that's how I met Priya while we were working at a school together. And I found her enthusiasm for teaching maths and science really inspiring. So I wanted her to come in today and talk about it. We'll be talking a bit about maths anxiety and about the decline in numeracy performance in Tasmanian students. So we'll jump in and introduce Priya now. So Priya, what inspired you to become a teacher? Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. I think um, most teachers at the moment, especially in Tasmania, have probably got their hearts and heads full and they're bursting and we all want to talk about what we're experiencing at the moment. So thank you for having me here today. Um, What got me into maths? Well, I think it was a bit of a curiosity journey. I was never very good at it. I was always very good at the English subjects, the history subjects and things like that. And it would have been a very natural pathway to go in that direction. Um, But maths was one of those things that was always very challenging and very interesting. And there was a lot of uh, social dynamics around performing in maths that I kind of didn't meet a lot of the time because I was quite a mediocre student but nevertheless I had some great teachers along the way and I actually went and did maths at university against everyone's advice and it's been it's been wicked I love it what do you mean by social dynamics? Um, I guess there's a lot of expectation in maths that you're a t- particular sort of person in particular and you're, you've got a certain way of thinking and a certain way of working. Quite often, if you close your eyes and imagine a typical mathematician, they're probably not a woman, potentially. Um, so I had all those uh, gender dynamics as well going on, but I just found it absolutely fascinating and I tried to overcome those ideas and I had some really great teachers who were women Um, which has inspired me to kind of step into that space as a female maths teacher. So what does maths mean to you and why is it important to study maths in school? (laughs) That sounds like every lesson in a high school maths class. (laughs) That was my inspiration from the question, thinking of back at school being like, why do we have to study this? We'll never use it. Yeah, I have to say I have had this question before. (laughs) Um, So the the analogy that I like to use is um, if you – If you think about going to the gym and you think about doing a bicep curl, maybe with a dumbbell, it's not something I do regularly, but a lot of people do, you can recognise that even though you don't do a bicep curl in your everyday life, it is helping your body 
to develop a certain muscle. And so things that we do in the gym, they're all these strange activities that we do and they don't always relate to our everyday life, but we can appreciate that they help us develop as humans and help our bodies develop. I think of maths the same way and that's been my relationship with maths. So I always explain to my students, you're in a gym, maths isn't always, not everything we could do in maths is going to be relevant to your everyday life, but you are practicing something that is building a muscle in your brain instead of in your in, in your arm and I call it the logic muscle so maths to me is the gym for logic and we want people to be as logical as they can be because life is getting more and more complex and I want my my students to be able to think logically and critically about the world and that's how I explain it to them I say okay yeah you're not going to use quadratic equations in your everyday life especially not straight out of school you might later on if you're an engineer but to a lot of people you know the things we do in grade 10 not everything is relevant but those ideas following a logical progression thinking critically having right and wrong answers and finding ways to check that that's a really really important life skill so that's how I think of maths that's such a great analogy to think of it as you're training a muscle like Mm. you're in a gym and it's a lot more comprehensible for maybe teenagers and adults to actually think about maths and see it that way yeah and I think when I think back at maths in school like I, I don't think I was a very good maths student <laughs> and I'd, I'd get really overwhelmed and a bit oh, and wasn't very helpful from teachers that I had at the time and how do you think that idea of maths compares to maybe what your classroom would look like as someone who's a trained maths teacher? I, I think the experience that maybe you're talking to there Anna is maths more than any subject I think makes you confront your own failures and that can be really hard especially for a teenager who's got all sorts of insecurities in you know how they're developing into into an adult so with maths there is always a right and wrong answer and some people love that a lot of people don't because when you're wrong it's really obvious that you're wrong maybe in English you can be partially correct or you can have a have had a good crack at the question. Um, So that experience of being quite overwhelmed and frustrated is very relatable. I've certainly had that experience in a maths classroom. I think as maths teachers, we have to be teaching the content and the curriculum and we have to think about the ways to make that engaging, of course. But we also have to teach resilience in the face of failure, in, in the face of, you know, challenging things that we can't solve immediately. And what do we do in those situations and how do we uh, approach them and how do we not take that as a personal failing, but rather as somewhere where we need to just keep working. And it doesn't mean we're, we're a terrible student. It just means we've got a bit more work to do and we can actually get there. And being engaging as a teaching, especially in maths, is so important. I remember when I was maybe in year nine or ten, I had a really bad maths teacher and it completely changes the tone of the class and sort of if someone didn't understand something, he wouldn't actually put any effort. And so how when you are faced with a whole classroom, obviously there's a right and a wrong answer. It's very easy to know when people have done it wrong. But with maths, how do you zone in and teach the individual while also maintaining a connection with everyone else at the same time? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I think it, it, it indicates the amount of thought and uh, professionalism and training you have to have as a teacher because you are teaching a class and you are also teaching many individuals with highly complex needs and attitudes towards the subject. Um, th- there are lots of different strategies uh, to do that. I think one of the things I've learnt in my teaching journey is that talking up the front of the classroom should be minimised. Um, so I like to be as brief as possible, essentially, and give give as little instruction as possible in the context of the problem and then give a lot of scaffolding. So while, while we're 
working through the problems together. I, I like to be in amongst my students and wandering around and, and talking and, and answering a lot of questions. One of the strategies that I like to use to describe how I teach, uh, there's, there's kind of three broad ways you can think about teaching. There, there's the approach where I do something in front of the class and that would be your traditional chalk and talk teaching. So you're standing up the front and explaining something. that, And that has its place, but often it can... It can disengage students. It might feel a bit impersonal. The second way, there's the I do way, and then there's the we do way where we solve a problem together. So that's very collaborative. Um, it's it's still facilitator driven, but not as much potentially as when I'm standing up at the front of the classroom and there's more input from the students and more engagement um, in that sense. Then there's the you do way where I entirely hand over the reins to my students and I step back and I'm not involved at all. And ultimately, we're aiming for a combination of the three. So the I do, we do, you do sequence is something I think about a lot when I think about how I'm going to deliver a lesson. I think maybe, I'm broad brush, I don't know, but I think maths classrooms have suffered from a lack of the we do aspect. Maybe we've had the I do jumping straight to the you do and students have felt like those, you know, those reins have been passed over too abruptly and they don't know, they don't feel strong enough or independent enough to take to take that on. So something I've really tried to develop is that anything that counts as a we do activity. So I'm putting some problems up on the board, but we're solving them in small groups, things like that. So stick with us for part two where we delve more into... Priya's work as a maths teacher and and maybe some statistics and recent studies that have come through about maths teaching in Tasmania. You're listening to That's What I Call Science and today we're talking about teaching maths and maths anxiety. My name is Anna Abella and I'm joined with Ollie Dove as well as our guest Priya Kitchener. You've mentioned before that something you're passionate about is teaching students who suffer from maths anxiety. Can you explain what maths anxiety is? Yeah, so maths anxiety is exactly what it sounds like really. It's, it's anxiety associated with the subject. I think maths generates a very particular type of anxiety. Like we just mentioned before, there's that fear of failure. There's a lot of concepts and abstract thinking that can be really hard for young people to engage with and that can generate a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, avoidance, I guess you would say, of the subject but also in class when you know, you're trying to engage them they can be very, very, you know, walls up, don't want to even talk to you sort of thing. I think one of the first things we need to talk about when we talk about maths anxiety and how we overcome it as teachers is we have to talk about representation. So our students are a diverse body of people and I think our teaching staff really needs to be diverse as well in maths particularly. It hasn't traditionally. It's been very white male dominated, <laughs> the maths teaching workforce. Certainly I had a lot of white male teachers who were good at their subjects but didn't represent me. Um, it can be very empowering for particularly young girls to see a woman teaching maths or to teach to see a young woman or a young person teaching maths same goes for diverse genders ethnicities and so forth and we need to we need to be thinking about how we um, encourage more teachers um, from diverse backgrounds into teaching maths is my first thought on that and how can we encourage them into that career I think we need to pay everyone more <laughs> in mm, teaching. <laughs> yes, love that. Yes. yes. I think, I, uh, yeah, by the time you're doing a teaching degree, like I did a master's of teaching, so I, I was coming to the profession quite late and I'd already done other things. I think we need to be paying teachers or paying people to become teachers as they go through university. We need to be incentivizing a diverse range of people to approach the profession. 
I would like to see teacher training turned into a model where we have a sort of apprenticeship model where maybe you do six months or a year of theoretical training and observations in schools and things like that but perhaps the next year is uh, team teaching in a school and engaging with schools in that way I think that would develop better teachers but there's, there's a lot of thought and study around that but yeah in terms of encouraging diverse diverse teaching stuff I really do think it comes down to economics. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about sort of what's happening in classrooms now? What are the statistics that have been coming out from these studies about the results of maths in Tasmania? To say that the picture is dire is quite uh, an understatement, I would say. And this week is a good week to be talking about this because all across the state of Tasmania, grade nine students or 15-year-old students have been taken out of their classrooms, you know, random students have been chosen to sit the PISA study. Now, the PISA study is the Program for International Student Assessment and it is done across all OECD countries. So we can have a look at our performance relative to other countries. Uh, The last PISA report came out in 2018 and it was damning and it showed a truly terrifying decline in the rates of numeracy literacy across Australia and Tasmania performed particularly badly in that report. So the report from 2018 compared our numeracy data to the numeracy data since 2003 and we're just looking at 15-year-old students in Australia. You know, the technical decline is on average in Australia we've declined 33 points uh, on that study which is equivalent to about one year's of one year of schooling on average across Australia. In Tasmania, it's more like 42 points decline, which I would say is about equivalent to one and a half to two years of schooling. If we just pause and think about that, if we took a student, a 15-year-old student from 2003 who was performing at the grade nine standard, had the expected numeracy understanding of a grade nine student in 2003, and then we looked at the same student in 2018, they would be almost two years behind where they were in 2003 on average. So that is just a terrifying, terrifying sort of prospect. Now that was 2018. Of course, since 2018, we've had the pandemic. We've had a huge amount of online learning and disrupted learning. Our teaching workforce has been battered and the retention rate of teachers has just dropped so significantly. So I would expect that this next report, which will come out next year, is going to be significantly worse. Um, And Tasmania is going to fare, again, particularly badly. I was talking to someone in the department, someone quite senior in the Department of Education in Tasmania, and I asked him how many teachers teaching maths in Tasmania actually are specialised to teach maths. His estimate was that more than 70% of maths teachers in Tasmania were not trained to teach maths. Whoa, I thought you were going to say the other <laughs> way around then. <laughs> yeah, no, so 70, roughly 70%. Now, he didn't have a, you know, a statistic he could point me to, but as someone, a senior person in the department who worked in the maths area, that was his estimate. And he said it was a conservative estimate. And my experience as a maths teacher in both department, in the independent sector and the Catholic sector, is that that's the case. Now, we have to do something about that because that's just terrible. And I would like to see someone, perhaps a politician in question time, standing up and asking our state government exactly what are the numbers, how many teachers are teaching maths who are not qualified to teach maths or not specialised in that area. Again, going back to our comment about diversity, the people who are teaching maths, even though they're not specialised to teach maths, are predominantly male. <laughs> so the teachers who are being pulled from other subject areas, you know, PE and all of these, these areas where we have more teachers, they are still being chosen based on what that stereotype of a, of a maths teacher is now that's that's my opinion that's my you know professional context my observations I 
can't support that statistically, but that is what I think is happening. So we have teachers who are increasingly untrained, like more than the majority are untrained to teach maths. We also have teachers that are coming with their own baggage, with their own maths anxiety perhaps into the classroom. And I don't think that teaching workforce that's coming into the subject area is a diverse representation. So again, um, we can talk about you know the specifics of the decline in Tasmania, but girls, female students who are 15 years old have seen a significantly higher decline than the boys. So I would say that that might be pointing to a lack of representation, a lack of considering gender in in how the subject is being taught. So within the classroom, what are ways that teachers and sort of school organisations can combat maths anxiety? Individual teachers. I don't know a teacher that I would say is doing a bad job in the context that they're in. Um, Every teacher I know is working so hard and I would also say that teachers are probably the most empathetic people you'd find and they're also very professional, they're very highly trained in dealing with mental health and all sorts of issues. I would say that in the cl- on the classroom level the teachers are doing everything they can. However, there's a huge lack of funding and a lack of resourcing in our schools. So a lot of the teachers that I know who are working incredibly hard and are doing their very best are going home and thinking that they did a bad job by their students. And I've certainly had that experience as well. I've, I've you know, slaved away at the school, tried to do my very, very best, but I've gone home knowing that I failed a lot of my students because I didn't have the support and I didn't have the resource. And that's just not a feasible system to be working in because it doesn't benefit you and it certainly doesn't benefit the students. So what ways can schools improve that you mentioned earlier the fact that teachers aren't getting paid enough are Mm. there other ways beyond financial that they could be helping well first of all we need more teachers that's just the 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 blunt truth everything is is suffering every area of education at the moment is suffering from the lack of teachers in you know earlier in the year I was working in a school in the department and there was a time when we had four full-time teachers four full-time positions uh, that were empty and we couldn't get relief teachers so so the reality of my day was that I would come to school expecting to teach a particular load and I would have an extra class here an extra class there I'd have students from a different class come into my regular class and sometimes you know, the numbers were over 30, which is the maximum you're allowed. So, so, so that's certainly the reality. Now, how can you teach maths when you don't actually know <laughs> what your day looks like? There was, there's been days in the department where I've just gone in and my day hasn't looked anything like I thought it was going to look because I've essentially been a relief teacher for other teachers. I've had students in my classroom that I didn't expect. And then on top of that, we have all the, the issues that go on in a regular classroom. We just need more teachers So Priya, can you tell us a bit more about the decline in numeracy literacy in Tasmania, especially with um, regards to female students? Yes, so the PISA report that I was just talking about shows the breakdown of all sorts of different student groups in Tasmania and across Australia and we can compare their performance. In Tasmania, the graphic or the the data that really shocked me in particular about the decline was the difference in the decline for female and male students. Now, compared to other states, we have probably the biggest difference in the decline of male and female students. Now, what that means is that across the country we're declining. In most states, except for the ACT, female students are performing significantly lower than the average and significantly lower than the male scores. Now, If we look at Tasmania's scores, the difference between the male and the female scores is twice as large as the next worst state, which is New South Wales. If we think about the decline of numeracy in Australia, obviously it's bad in every state, but in Tasmania we have this particular 
element, which is that our decline is much more gendered than the other states. And that was something when I was reading the report that really stood out to me. I hadn't seen that mentioned and I haven't seen it mentioned <laughs> since. But the the decline is almost about half to a year's worth of schooling, you could say, in broad strokes. Difference between female students and male students in their numeracy literacy. Now, I honestly don't know why that is. It could go back to the the lack of diversity or, you know, the lack of teachers, all of these things, but it's something that we need to talk about because the gender difference is just so significantly large compared to other states. We need to talk about that. Our politicians need to talk about that uh, because the inequity that we're seeing in maths is growing and growing. And the rates of female students taking higher level math studies in year 11 and 12 is the lowest it's ever, ever been. And it's almost half the rate of the male students in year 11 and 12. Absolutely. This feels like a topic that isn't mentioned or I have no prior knowledge or have heard about this before, so it's something that needs to become much more in society's consciousness, really. So stick with us for part three as we talk to Priya about teaching maths. You're listening to That's What I Call Science and we're talking about teaching maths with Priya Kitchener. Priya, have you had any times teaching maths or science where you saw a big breakthrough moment for a student or any sort of highlights or especially being a female teacher and teaching female students? How has that been? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've got so many stories about students who have made breakthroughs and and they're really great moments uh, for the students and for for you. One of my favourite stories, it was actually from my very first year of teaching, was probably the really the moment where I really thought, oh, you know, things change, I can I can actually do this. I was working on a remote island um, at a very small district school in the Department of Education, very remote, and um, we had all sorts of challenges there and the maths engagement wasn't very high and I had this crazy ambition to do algebra and to, to try and access some of the higher level algebra in the curriculum with my grade 9 and 10 students. And it had varying levels of success because I didn't really know what I was doing and I was the only maths teacher on the island and it was my first year as a teacher and it was it was kind of hectic and chaotic but it was good fun. And I gave my students an assignment and it was their final assignment for the term and all of the students handed it in and had done a pretty decent job of it. And there was one student who would stand up and yell and have all sorts of behaviour issues and I tried to get through to this kid and we'd, I'd done all this extra work and... You know, he and I had a, f- a fairly good relationship, but it was it was checkered at times. And um, I went home on the last day of term, and I thought, oh, I didn't I didn't get through to him. It, you know, he didn't hand in the assignment. He hadn't made a good attempt at it. Anyway, um, on this particular island, we didn't really lock lock anything because everyone was very trusting. So you know, our cars were always unlocked, and our doors and the school was pretty easy to get into on the weekend and stuff like that. Anyway, the next morning. I got into my car and I looked over on the passenger seat and his assignment was there and he'd, he'd been too afraid to knock on the door. <laughs> but he'd come up, he knew where I lived because I lived in a schoolhouse, you know, in one of the teacher houses, you know, opposite the school. And he he'd, he walked up the road that morning and, and put his algebra assignment on the passenger seat of my car, which was which was incredibly sweet. And um, the first day back, we, you know, I, I mentioned this to the class and said how proud I was of him and we all gave him a round of applause, which was... <laughs> <laughs> which was a really wholesome moment and and that's that's the thing like there are moments like that that you live for and and that will make a difference to you and to the student but then all those problems that we've talked about and those challenges make the day-to-day reality just 
increasingly difficult so as a teacher we're kind of battling you know our love of the profession and and you know the absolute highs that you can get and at the moment there are some just crazy lows that go along with that and to any teachers students or even parents or guardians of students listening into this if they're any of them suffer from maths anxiety because presumably as well if students are taking home homework and Mm. the adult responsible is terrified of maths and cannot help them. So if anyone involved in a a child or teenager's education is listening to this, do you have any advice for them on how they could go about treating their maths anxiety? Yeah, I guess uh, one of the hardest things as a teacher is when, you know, you have a parent-teacher interview and you sit there with a parent and a student and the parent demonstrates a huge amount of anxiety around the subject as well. And you can see the students just absorbing all of that anxiety. So you get comments like, oh, I was never a maths person or this this content has never helped me. They can really be quite deflating comments as a teacher because you just think, okay, well, obviously the student is going to take that on board and then how am I going to get buy into what I want to do? And like we said earlier in the episode, it's, it's a about practicing that logic muscle we're building a skill it's not necessarily about using this particular brand of maths and the parents might look at it and say well you know quadratic equations I've never used that before but maybe they don't see the deeper purpose behind it it's it's a very interesting field of mathematics with a lot of logic that we can use to practice that skill so yeah I would say to parents the biggest thing you can do for your child with maths anxiety is to demonstrate resilience in the face of failure and a can-do sort of attitude so oh I can't remember that or I I was never very good at that but let's work on it together let's let's think about ways we can approach it differently who can we ask for for help that sort of thing absolutely bringing in that we can do attitude Mm. so sadly we're coming up to the end of the show and we're running out of time but to finish off is there somewhere to easily access high quality maths learning materials if anyone listening wants to improve their math skills. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great stuff online. So th- there's certainly a lot of content online that lets things like Khan Academy, there's um, Eddie Wu, WooTube. Uh, he's, our, he's our great maths ambassador in Australia. I would also say, though, that looking at that content by yourself can be quite isolating. Finding some sort of peer-to-peer learning is probably the best way to use that content. So if you're studying at an institution, finding peers and surrounding them surrounding yourself with them and looking at that content is a great way to go. If you're an adult and you've just got an interest in maths, maybe go on Meetup or, or have a look um, in, in your area and see if there's there's a group that look, likes to look at maths or digital technologies or anything like that um, because peer-to-peer is where we get our motivation and our passion, I, I, I think. And last week we had on someone representing the Coding Sisterhood as well, so there are groups out there to bring people together in those ways. So thank you listeners for tuning in today to That's What I Call Science. We love bringing you STEM-related content and we really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you loved it, you can get in touch with us by searching That's What I Call Science or That Science Towns on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. My name is Ollie Dove and thank you to my co-host Anna Imbala and our guest today, Priya Kitchener, for coming on. So from all of us here, hope you have a wonderful week. This programme was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. 
GemMaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.